Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. It's September 28th. Yields are rising as Taper Talk is back, yet spreads refuse to budge and appear indestructible. I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome once again to BI's monthly Credit Chat podcast. Over the past few weeks, other than the Fed, headlines out of China have moved markets, with no story getting more press and concern than Evergrande. So it's a perfect time to talk to our global BI financial gurus, Yarun Julius, Arnold Kakuta, and Himanshu Bakshi, to discuss systematic risk and potential opportunities. So gentlemen, the questions I've been hearing are, is this a Lehman moment? a long-term capital repeat, or just a blip on the radar screen. Uh, why don't we start with Europe and Jeroen. You know, what sort of exposure do European banks have to China, uh, and which financial institutions are most exposed? So, uh, yeah, thanks, Rob. So the, the European banks that are the most exposed uh, to China are probably HSBC and the Standard Chartered. Um, so HSBC's total China lending is close to $200 billion, so that's, that's nearly 20% of its loan book. Not all of this exposure is actually booked uh, in, in China. Most of this is, is booked in Hong Kong uh, with the ultimate owner sitting in mainland China. Uh, now, most of this exposure is to wholesale borrowers, so corporates, sovereigns and banks, whereas retail lending is actually uh, quite small. And of those wholesale borrowers, corporate lending is the largest segment, uh, but the large part uh, is to foreign and state-owned uh, borrowers, where arguably uh, the risk is, is lower. So, for instance, uh, a manufacturer of uh, mobile phone components fully owned by Apple uh, or a, a utility fully owned by a local authority. Um, so, pure unmitigated uh, Chinese uh, corporate lending is only 40 to $50 billion, so 4 to 5% of HSBC's loan book, roughly. And Standard Chartered uh, hasn't given as much granular disclosures as HSBC has, and its overall exposure seems to be somewhat smaller. So you're saying HSBC's exposure is not significant. No one else in Europe has significant exposure. And if that's the case, is there nothing to worry about for European banks? Uh, well, uh, no, I, I actually think that this whole Evergrande episode should be of, uh, of concern to bank bond investors. Uh, uh, first, um, well, we don't know exactly how large uh, the exposure is of various banks to Evergrande itself because, of course, banks do not give that uh, this, uh, disclosure to a particular borrower until a borrower has gone bankrupt. Now, Evergrande, of course, did miss a coupon payment on Thursday, uh, but has now entered a 30-day grace period. And only after this has expired, and assuming Evergrande still hasn't paid, will you see banks starting to publish their exposure. Uh, but HSBC's CEO did suggest only last week at a conference uh, that the bank's direct exposure to Evergrande is actually quite small. So that, that that's for context. But um, uh, as I mentioned, I, I do think that uh, this whole episode should be of, of course. Concern. First, uh, Evergrande may only be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, more Chinese property companies may get into difficulty in the coming months and quarters. 
Uh, so Evergrande may be symptomatic of a much wider problem. Uh, second, uh, HSBC may have exposures to Chinese real estate other than through uh, lending. For instance, derivative exposures or undrawn, or undrawn lines of credit, uh, which are harder to assess from the disclosures. And third, there may be lots of second-order effects, such as building material suppliers getting into trouble or furniture manufacturers. Um, and, and there's another factor to consider as well, and that's this. Uh, commercial real estate tends to be used as collateral for other types of lending, uh, which may not show up as real estate lending. If the value uh, of this uh, collateral comes down, then banks may have to set aside more loan loss reserves. So, you know, it could be quite significant. Well, listen, you, you mentioned Apple before, and, you know, entering my world of tech, um, there's been um, a significant amount of volatility um, caused by Chinese government intervention in the private sector, um, and we've seen names like Alibaba and Tencent lose 30, 40, 50 percent of their equity value. Are there implications um, at all for bond investors about potential Chinese intervention? Yeah, so, uh, look, there are so many Western financial institutions that have uh, struck joint ventures with local parties or started to greenfield operations in China in recent years. Now, I don't think that there's a significant risk of the Chinese government interfering in those uh, initiatives at this stage. But uh, this uh, recent episode of government interference in, uh, for instance, the, the technology sector does create some uh, uncertainty. For instance, uh, uh, you know, all those wealth management initiatives, uh, there are fewer billionaires now in China than there were last month. So I am wondering if the likes of uh, UBS uh, and Credit Suisse will continue uh, to see huge uh, net client asset inflows each quarter as they've done for the past few years. Um, I, I, I don't think that these factors necessarily are uh, spread sensitive in the near term uh, in, the, in the way that uh, exposure uh, factors are um, because it's more revenue and earnings based. But, you know, they could become uh, more important uh, further out. Sure. And, you know, before we move on to the to the rest of the world, you know, it certainly sounds like you, you, you have, you know, concern in, in the back of your mind, um, but but not any sort of panic. Um, are there a couple names you would want to highlight as, as you see as just better relative value uh, versus other names right now? Um, so... Uh, so as I mentioned, HSBC and Standard Chartered are the two names that are that have the largest um, uh, credit exposure, um, and uh, the the wealth managers like UBS and, and Credit Suisse have the largest or have a significant uh, top line and bottom line exposure as well. If you want to avoid uh, China as uh, you know a, a potential uh, source of uh, volatility and spread widening in the coming uh, months and quarters, then clearly what you should do is uh, focus on the domestic-oriented uh, banks in, in Europe, and there are plenty of those. Um, you know, in the UK, names like uh, NetWest or Lloyds. In France, it's names like Credit Agricole uh, or um, BPCE. Uh, in uh, Italy, it's a name like Intesa. Uh, so there are lots of alternatives um, for bank bond investors that seek to avoid the volatility of, of, of China. 
Great, great. I know you've written a, a ton on this topic, so you know, I would hope that any terminal users that want to dig a little bit deeper, um, you know, just go to your bio page and see all that great info. Um, well, let's see if, 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 if there's any contagion um, throughout the rest of the world. So Arnold, you know, I keep reading stories about Lehman moment, Lehman moment, Lehman moment, and this concern about this domino effect on financial institutions. You know, what, if any, exposure does the U.S. banks have, um, and who so far has been impacted most by, by China Evergrande? Um, well, thanks, Rob. Um, so, you know, we talk about the Lehman moment. I think one big change, I guess, since that time is, you know, all these um, broker-dealers have actually converted to banks, right? So, you know, better access to the Fed, and then, you know, a lot higher capital requirements, stress testing every year. So I think that's really mitigated concerns. And, you know, you, 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 know, you, you mentioned the higher yields uh, recently, but, you know, this call could, you know, very well be, oh, you know, look at, you know, 10-year yields have risen 25 basis points in the past few days, you know, better outlook, fast, you know, faster tapering, potentially, you know, faster uh, rate rises. So, you know, I think it's very timely that I guess the financials team is uh, on this call, right? But uh, in terms of going back to your question, you know, if there were kind of, you know, uh, Evergrande would kind of be more of a concern if that kind of blows up more to, okay, who has China coverage, uh, who has China exposure, who has kind of Asia exposure, then I think, um, you know, people will focus, you know, within the U.S. banks, they might focus on Citigroup because they are the most international of peers. They're the most broadly, you know, exposed to uh, China and Asia, uh, although they are kind of, you know, exiting uh, 13 retail markets, emerging market retail markets around the world, including China, right? So that, um, you know, exposure might get smaller. So, but, um, but in terms of, you know, how it trades, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Citi's credit ratings are they're not lower than peers, and it's actually their bonds already trade wider than, than others, and um, you know we expect that to continue, given they have risk management um, uh, issues that they need to fix and invest in, and that could help. You know, that that might continue to pressure their profitability, which is already at the lower end of peers. So it's it's interesting your 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 take on, on higher treasury yields. You know, some sectors, again, like my space, like in tech, when you've got uh, higher rates, you see tech equities sell off dramatically, and, and you're seeing that today. Um, but it seems as if that might be a catalyst for a, a, a lot of your names. So in this environment, which, which of those names would you, would you sit, put in the sort of the top handful of those that, that might outperform over the next six months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, higher rates better for banks, right? They can increase their net interest margin. Although, you know, the, the rates that the banks want to increase is actually the short end stuff. But um, you know, the, the expectations for uh, rate rises has, I guess, been pulled forward from 2023 to the potentially the end of 2022. You know, hence the excitement in uh, equities land for 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 bank stocks. But you know, it, it definitely helpful if, uh, you know, banks can earn um, more money on net interest income. But, you know, with all that, um, Bank of America comes to mind. They're actually the most rate sensitive. So if rates rise, you know, their, their um, net income will uh, go up more. And, and But from bondholders' perspective, um, B of A has solid, solid fundamentals. They have a conservative strategy. And on the stress test, they, they post the lowest losses of peers. However, their bond spreads are wider than uh, similarly rated JP Morgan. So, you know, really from the bondholder's perspective, the knock on B of A 
is that they've been a frequent, frequent issuer of U.S. dollar bonds. And, um, you know, we just ran the screen for this year, and lo and behold, yet again, they're, they're the number one bond issuer, uh, senior, senior debt, hold, uh, debt issuer this year. And, and that's really impacted spreads. But since B of A, they've, they've built a, a treasure hoard of uh, surplus bail and debt. Their excess, they have 62, $62 billion of excess bail and debt. Um, you know, because of that, we expect issuance to slow down going forward. So the technicals, we think, will improve. On the mean hand, JP Morgan, we think, needs to be a much more active issuer going forward because their excess bail and debt is just $6 billion, which is which is paper thin compared to B of A. That's a great little commercial for the BI team, um, which across the globe will be putting out uh, maturity and issuance projections uh, over the next six or 12 months. So everyone keep an eye on that if you care about um, who needs to fund and when and how much. So Arnold, before we move on to He-Man, you know, the, the post-pandemic recovery has been definitely choppy and, and somewhat even, uneven in the U.S. You know, there's obviously a, a setup for, for banks to potentially outperform um, in this environment, but, but, but who's lagging here and who, who might end up uh, trailing their peers? Yeah, uh, so I think, you know, in terms of the uneven recovery, I, I think you've got to look at some of these names that are more regional. Um, you know, M&T Bank is, is something we're looking at now. Basically, they, you know, their asset quality uh, that might trail peers. Basically, they're, they're more exposed to commercial real estate and the New York City region, right? And, and you know, as we come into the office, we see that, you know, uh, you know, even though we're coming back to the office, um, you know, the, the return to work for a lot of the financial sector, that's been delayed and delayed and delayed, right? And so that's going to impact, you know, the, the small businesses um, that rely on the foot traffic generated by all these commuters. So, you know, even though you know, S&P downgraded uh, M&T, which is, you know, one of the higher rated um, regional U.S. banks. Um, the, the, its recent preferred stock, um, the yield on that is similar to another high-quality regional, PNC. Um, PNC is new preferred. So, and, and we think going forward, the credit ratings uh, of these two, M&T and PNC, we think that might continue to diverge given M&T has negative outlooks from both S&P, uh, sorry, Moody's and Fitch, while PNC has a positive outlook from S&P. Awesome. Great stuff. And uh, let's follow it up with a little bit of the rest of the world. So He-Man, Canadian banks, Australian banks. How are you? People come to you, you? because they feel safe and secure, and spread volatility <laughs> is going to be super low. Um, are, is anyone going to be surprised by any direct expo exposure to Evergrande from uh, any of the names in, in the regions that you're covering? No, I don't think so. Um, because the big five Canadian banks and the big four Australian lenders, um, they do not have any direct exposure to Evergrande. If you look at uh, the top five Canadian banks, most have domestic exposure and to the U.S. Um, Scotiabank is the most international of Canadian banks, but it, its exposure is mostly concentrated in Latin America, and that too specifically in Pacific Alliance nations, uh, which will be Chile, Colombia, Peru, and Mexico. If we move to Australia, uh, again, most are domestic-focused uh, except ANZ, or Australia and New Zealand Bank. 
um, which has some exposure to Asia through its institutional business. But even ANZ in recent years has exited 23 non-core businesses in Asia. And the bank has also reduced the risk-weighted assets of its institutional business by $50 billion. Um, so, yeah, I don't see any meaningful exposure to these banks. Uh, yeah. So what about you know, second or third order impact from a collapse, this whole concept of like, I don't want to say people are now poo-pooing systematic risk, but there has to be some sort of domino effect if there's a failure. Is, is there a second or third degree um, derivative uh, impact on, on, on any, of their, any of your banks? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and because uh, if there's a major slump in China's property market, because of Evergrande crisis, then it has a major effect on economic growth, which of course has a huge impact on global growth. Uh, but I think just looking at the Australian and Canadian banks, uh, I think Australian banks will be more impacted. And the reason is because iron ore is crucial to Australia's economy. It is Australia's largest export and China is its biggest customer. So if there is a, a sharp downturn in China's property market, um, that will lower the demand for steel, and that will hurt Australia's economic recovery and put pressure on budget deficit, right? So um, just going talking about some numbers, if you look at Australia's budget forecast, they assumed that INO would tumble to 55 a ton by March. And right now, as of today, it's still above 100, even after dropping from almost 240 in May. Now, um, I looked at one of our reports from our colleagues at Bloomberg Economics, and they said that every $10 decline in the price of iron ore has a 3 to 3.5 billion fiscal impact. Um, so the point is, yes, a weaker budget position uh, is not good because that will actually put pressure on Australia's sovereign credit ratings. And huh. any changes to Australia's ratings will actually impact the ratings of Australian banks. And the reason is simple, because uh, Australian banks' ratings actually include government support notches. And we have seen this in the past, uh, two, three years ago, even last year, S&P actually put Australian banks' rating and Australia's rating on negative outlook. Because if the capacity of the sovereign is weaker to support the banks, the banks' ratings will be downgraded. So that's something to uh, keep an eye at. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, in the past, we've talked about how the world is different now than during the financial crisis, um, in particular for things like uh, loss-absorbing capacity. Do you want to just refresh everyone? Right. Um, uh, sure. you just let us know how these banks are positioned <coughs> that financial flexibility. Sure. So um, Australian and Canadian banks um, are some of the most capitalized banks in the world. And the requirements and capital ratios are much, much higher than a decade ago. Uh, if you look at just the Australian banks, their capital ratios are in top 25% of global banks. Uh, if you look at the Canadian banks, um, the Canadian regulator, bank regulator, OSFI, has still has capital distribution restrictions on the banks. So their capital ratios are highest on record. Um, also, I want to remind our listeners, we, we keep comparing Evergrande crisis to Lehman movement, but it's important to note that Australian and Canadian banks actually survived the financial crisis. They were not bailed out. So that is something to keep in mind. We expect the, 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 the credit fundamentals of these banks to remain strong in the near term. And finally, uh, 
one last point I'll make on that is, except for Royal Bank of Canada and Toronto Dominion Bank in Canada, none of these nine banks are, uh, none of the, the remaining seven banks are designated as GSIPs or what we call as global systemically important bank. And what that means is they are not too big to pose systemic risk to the world financial system. Gotcha. And, you know, let's, why don't we just wrap it up with the, the valuation question and, you know, wh- where do you see value in you know, Australia versus Canada? Sure. So if you look at the senior bonds of Australian and Canadian banks, um, Canadian banks, senior bonds are actually bail-in eligible. Uh, all the banks, even though not all banks are GSIPs, as I just said. Um, and Australian bon- banks, senior bonds are not bail-in eligible. But we do expect Canadian banks' bonds to remain relatively stable, while we do expect some widening in Australian banks for two reasons. The first is technical because we expect these banks to issue a lot of senior bonds close to 80 to 100 billion um, in the next year or so um, because they have to refinance the, the borrowings they did under the term funding facility during the pandemic. And the second is the rating risk. Um, if... Evergrande is indeed the tip of the iceberg, then whatever I explained about the price in iron ore and budget deficit, that may, again, risk the bank's rating, and that may lead to more spread widening for Australian banks. So uh, we do like, we do think that Canadian banks' senior bonds will be more stable versus Australian banks in the near term. Fantastic stuff. I want to thank you guys so much, Arun, Arnold, He-Man. Thank everyone once again for listening to our BI Credit Chat podcast. Always remember, if you need anything from the team, feel free to reach out directly or simply access the credit research dashboard at BI Cred G. Please stay happy and healthy. Until next month, may your longs be tighter and shorts wider. Bye-bye.